All right. Thank you for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream this morning. We're still in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 24 for this morning's message. This is our seventh message on the Holy Spirit from the eighth chapter of Romans. And in these verses, verses 24 to 28, we come to the Holy Spirit's work in us in the matter of prayer. And we find in this study of prayer, in these verses, that God and the Holy Spirit want our participation in prayer, and we need the Holy Spirit's intercession in prayer. There's really a partnership that we have as believers with the Lord uh, in this matter of prayer. You know, some time ago I read in an older writer uh, uh, an illustration of uh, a elementary classroom in the springtime when the students looked out the window and it was such a beautiful spring day that little Johnny said to his teacher, uh, why don't we go outside today and enjoy the hour? Well, the teacher had to stop and think because she knew things that he didn't know. Well, she thought uh, we have a lot to do and we only have so many hours in the semester to get them done and we're this far along in our, in our subject and uh, maybe we don't have time to do that. On the other hand, she might have thought and said, you know what, we are a little ahead and uh, we can accomplish all we need to. And so uh, in the end, she turned to Johnny and said, you know what, Johnny, that's a good idea. Let's go outside and enjoy the day uh, during this hour. Well, it was an illustration that uh, even as Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The teacher's kind of like in my name. She knew more than he did. She knew whether you, she could really take this time to go out or not. But in the end, because he asked and wouldn't have happened if he didn't ask, she said, let's go outside. Well, the Holy Spirit also knows the situation and he knows what can and can't be. He knows whether our request is a good request or bad or whether it fits in God's plan and God's will or not. And so uh, sometimes our prayers are answered in the affirmative, sometimes in the negative, but they're always answered according to what is best. Prayer, as someone said, is not a class that you take. Now I know the subject, and so I'm up on prayer. Prayer is not like a verse that you memorize. You get it done, and you've kind of mastered that verse, and so uh, I know it. That's all I need from that verse, or an assignment that you, that you fulfill. A.W. Tozer said it this way, prayer at its best is an expression of the total life. Prayer is an expression of your life and your walk with the Lord. And so remember these things. First, God, is, God exists, right? And he's always in control. You know that. The prayer of faith, the Bible says, uh, is the one that avails. So God exists and he's in control and the Holy Spirit is always living your life with you. I'm talking to believers, of course. He's always in you. He's always directing. He's always desiring certain things of you and, and bearing on your conscience. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. And you know that God's way is always best. So whatever God knows is as his will which is the best way to, for you to go, that's good news. Uh, you're, he's your partner in this. 
And so prayer is our participation in that process of God's will. Uh, our part in it is he listens to us and our prayers avail much, and yet in the end he will do what is best and what is in his will to do. Now, the Apostle Paul, who's writing, of course, the book of Romans, in his writings he mentions prayer, he demonstrates prayer in some beautiful passages where he is praying or he's asking others to pray. He even commands us to pray. But here in, our, in these verses, verses 24 to 28 of chapter 8, he instructs us in prayer. As a matter of fact, I think this is one of the most astounding uh, passages that Paul has of instruction in prayer, why we pray, how we pray, what happens when we pray, just as Jesus did, you know, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So, if you'll notice on your bulletin, you have four things that are, if you're watching the screen, you see them on the screen. And I want to bring out these four things as we look at prayer, at the subject of prayer and the Holy Spirit this morning. First of all, back to verse 24 and 25 together, which mentions hope. I say hope, this hope we have, helps us pray. We sang the song this morning, my hope is in the Lord, and we have this hope in the Lord. Let me go back and read these verses again. Verse 24, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, that is, uh, with patience. So notice in this version, in this hope, what is that hope? Well, back up to verse 23 at the end of that verse, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption that is the redemption of our body. We're, we're looking forward to the next life. We're looking forward to the, when this life is over. We know we have uh, heaven waiting for us. We have the presence of the Lord waiting for us. We have loved ones waiting for us. We have eternity waiting for us. That is our hope. And so we're waiting for that. And the fact that we know that is going to affect our prayers is what this passage is telling us. First of all, notice, because we know that the end is near. So verse 24 says, we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen it's not hope. You're there. You don't need to hope for it anymore, but we're hoping. So we know that we're not there, and uh, yet uh, it's close. Chapter 13 and verse 11 of this book will say, Do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time that we awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. We know that the coming of the Lord is, is close, or our death happens to be close, whichever one comes first. We might uh, realize this hope if we die, or if the rapture takes place, we will see it then. Or as the song says, uh, whether we'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. It's going to be one of the two. So we don't see it yet, but we're sure of it. Let me remind you of, of Titus 2.13. We're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.19, this hope 
we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. 1 John 2, everyone that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he's pure. So we're still in the unseen part. We have the hope, but we haven't seen it yet. We know it's coming, but it's not here yet. And yet, it helps us then understand what our priorities should be and what we should ask for. And our hope then forms our prayers and forms our thoughts because we're closer to the Holy Spirit's thoughts and to God's desires if we know where we are in this time frame. Now, secondly, we wait with patience then for it, right? So verse 25 then goes on to say, if we hope for what we do not see, which is where we are, of course, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Perseverance, patience, hupamene, to remain under. Patience or perseverance is the ability to remain under the burden that you're in. And so in this life, we have lots of burdens. In this life, we have things we have to deal with. And so we eagerly wait for them. You know what an oxymoron is, don't you? Isn't that one of them? We eagerly wait. <laughs> we wait, but I'm eager. You know, I have, I have eager patience. <laughs> it's coming, but uh, it's like that. I, I think of Paul's oxymorons. In, in chapter 1, verse 20, he said, uh, the invisible things of God are clearly seen. I'm thinking, really? In Colossians 1, 15, we, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And I think that's interesting, too. 2 Corinthians 4, while we look on things that are not seen. Paul, Paul is full of these kinds of oxymorons. Well, we're eagerly waiting. We're waiting, but we're eager about it. Look back up at verse 23, by the way, that we referred to a minute ago, where uh, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, then what? Eagerly waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of the body. So the fact is, folks, God doesn't need to show me everything before it happens. If God needs to show me, then I'm in elementary school about prayer. The fact is that uh, I eagerly wait. I wait with patience because I know God's will is best. And so I pray and I trust. I think the best short statement of prayer in the New Testament is, it's the prayer of faith. It's the prayer of faith in Him. When I know Him, I trust in Him, I have faith that what He's going to do is the best thing to do, then I can pray and have faith. I saw some of the great saints of God this week uh, who are uh, near the end of their life. And yet they have this patience and they have this faith. And I was encouraged myself as I talked to them uh, this week uh, that they encouraged me, that, that their patience and their faith and saying whatever God wants and whatever God's timing is and whatever comes of this, uh, I'm good with whatever God wants. Isn't that a great way to look at life? 
Well, if we understand life like that, then when we pray, it helps our prayers to put them in context. That's what I think verse 24 and 25 are saying, all right? So hope helps us pray, but then the meat of this passage, 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit helps us pray, and God the Father helps us pray. Verse 26, likewise then, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, or you might have infirmities. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, he makes intercession for us with these groanings which cannot be uttered. Here's my grammatical insert uh, for, for today's message. That, you see that word help, uh, helps, in, uh, in, in our verse. In English, that's just a small four-letter word, help. But uh, in that language that Paul is writing in, it's a huge word. And it's not just a normal word, but it's the word lambano, which is the root of it, which means uh, to take or receive, then anti before that, and then syn or soon before that. So it's a long word with two prefixes in front of it, and it means basically to take hold with someone. So that word help, in little word in our English, is a long word in that language, to aid or assist by helping with someone else. A.T. Robertson, one of the great Greek scholars that our country has ever produced, said it like this, it, it is as if two men were carrying a log, one at each end. Can you see that? Two men carrying a log, one of each end, and you know what? Neither one of them can put their end down and still make it happen. <laughs> Two men carrying a log, one, one at each end, so, so you need both of them to get this done. That's the word help here. Very interesting. So he points out in this, we don't know where we're going with our end of the log. <laughs> you know, I hope the guy on the other end of the log knows where we're supposed to take this. That's right. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is helping, but we're uh, partners with him. So we don't know how we should pray, he says here. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Well, you remember these verses? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The, the Holy Spirit leads us. John 16, 13, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So he, he guides us. Acts 20, 23, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying, chains and tribulations await me, Paul said. The Holy Spirit bears witness or testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So we're partners He's helping us, but we have the weakness. We don't know where to go. We don't know what we should say. Did you ever get that feeling when you're praying and you're saying, well, Lord, I'm going to ask you for something, but to tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't know how it should come out. I don't know what you should do with this other person. I don't know if you have them there for this reason or maybe you should deliver them from that. How do I know? I'm just human. You're the one that has omniscience. You're the one that's not time, bound by time and space. You know, I don't know. You ever have that feeling when you're praying? And that's what Paul's expressing here. How am I supposed to know? 
as we ought, he says. Now, I think that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to pray for circumstances that fit with his own purposes. And so if he would like to convict this person with the gospel of their need for salvation, he's going to guide you into praying, having a burden for that person. And you're going to pray for that person, which is something he wants to do anyway. As a matter of fact, he may enlist you to carry the other end of that log. So he may say, okay, let's do that, and you be my spokesman. Or you live a life in front of that person that I can witness to that person. And so as we pray, we don't know how we should pray, but he brings in. Maybe we say, Lord, uh, deliver, deliver me from this pain. Lord, deliver me from this illness that I have. And the Holy Spirit says, well, I would like you to be a witness to those who come and help you in your pain. So I'm letting you go through a little pain so that we can work on this person over here. Do you ever have a feeling like that? That that's why you're there? That's why maybe you're going through this? It may, be, it may cause you some discomfort in order to be in the will of the Holy Spirit. He's got a lot of purposes in this life. We're not sure exactly how he's going to work those things out, but he enlists us to be part of it. So notice we don't know how to pray in those circumstances, but still in verse 26, he interprets for us. So the verse goes on to say, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Did you notice that we pray and he makes intercession? He's going to make intercession to the Father. We're just praying. We're just using that common overall word, Lord, do this. Lord, help this. Lord, uh, do this with this person. The Holy Spirit then is interceding for us. And he's, he's interceding with these groanings. In other words, we don't quite speak the language. We're praying, but we don't know how to speak that language to God the Father. The Holy Spirit does. And so the Holy Spirit is going to do this with groanings. Now, we've had that word groaning already in our study of Romans chapter 8. You remember the word stenes, and we get our word stencil from it. And remember the illustration of uh, something that you press the ink into. You press the ink through the stencil so that it comes out in a pattern on the other side. So groaning because it's straight, groaning because you're pressed into this narrow space. That's the groaning that is going on here. Creation groans, we groan, the Holy Spirit uh, groans. Just to be fair, I found that there are, two, there are two views or two ways to look at the groanings here. There are some who take it that the groanings are your groanings as you pray because you don't know how to pray. You don't know what to say. And so the Holy Spirit then takes your groanings and makes intercession with them. But the other view, of course, is that it's the Holy Spirit's groanings, that he's the one speaking this language. I have to kind of fall to the second uh, view of that because specifically this verse says he makes the intercession 
and he does it with groanings. And so I think this is the Holy Spirit doing the groaning and interpreting for us in things and ways that we can't utter. Can I quote Tozer again? He's such a quotable kind of guy. And I've been reading uh, a book, a few books on prayer, and his is one of them. <laughs> this will shock you. He says this, Some churches now advertise courses on how to pray. And then he says, how ridiculous. That is like giving a course on how to fall in love. When the Holy Spirit comes, he takes the things of God and translates them into the language our hearts can understand. Even if we do not know the will of God, the Holy Spirit does know, and he prays with groanings that cannot be uttered. It's just something that necessarily we don't learn, but the Holy Spirit knows, and he puts into our hearts, and he does that for us. Well, folks, our prayers sometimes are selfish. As a matter of fact, maybe a lot of times they're selfish. Here's, Lord, what I need. Here's what I want. Here's what I want to ask so that you do. And they become very self-centered and very selfish. Sometimes our prayers, and often they're ignorant. And that is just ignorant of God's will, ignorant of what the Bible says, of what the purposes of a Christian's life is all about. Often our prayers are out of God's will, and that may be something we don't know. We're just praying in one way that seems right to us and seems logical to us, but God is saying, but you don't understand what I'm doing. And we all know that sometimes we don't see in this world what God sees and what God is doing in this world. And we may be praying opposite of that, opposite of the, of the very ministry that the Holy Spirit wants with us. A few years ago, well, a lot of years ago now, I was in Russia and Ukraine with my father-in-law, Peter Slobodian, that's Anne's father, and of course he being Ukrainian by birth and Russian by speaking and other things, we were, we were over there with, uh, in a mission school, and I was teaching, and of course I have to speak in English, and then there's a translator, and, and uh, he's translating for me to a class full of Ukrainian young men. And uh, my father-in-law, who was born Ukrainian, so he knows that language, uh, he knew that language well, he's sitting in the back of the class listening to everything that's happening. Well, I'm, I remember explaining some concept. It was a doctrinal-type class. I forget exactly what the, what the issue was, but I was trying to explain it the best I could, but I'm doing it in English, and this poor young guy who's translating for me is trying to put that into Ukrainian and the students are scratching their head, and, and, you know, it's not coming over well. And so in the back of the room, my father-in-law stands up, and he begins speaking. It only took him three or four sentences in Ukrainian, which I didn't understand at the time. And everybody goes, oh, okay. <laughs> because you get the right translation, and then the concept comes across, doesn't it? Well, the fact is that what he's saying is, uh, we just fumble around in our prayers, and sometimes going here and going there, uh, sometimes self-centered, sometimes not, sometimes out of God's will, sometimes in God's will, and the Holy Spirit stands up in the back of the room and says, Father, this is what he means. Oh, yeah. That's a crude way to put it, but basically that's what he's saying. And so the Holy Spirit helps, interprets, intercedes for us. 
But another point, number three, is that God himself, speaking here of God the Father, then helps us pray. So now, verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, he here, of course, refers to God the Father. And notice he, God the Father, knows two people very well. He knows you very well, and he knows the Holy Spirit very well. And he's going to then bring those things into alliance. In other words, there's going to be an interchange between you, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. Now, he says, first of all, he who, he who uh, searches the hearts. God knows our hearts, does he not? 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Revelation 2.23, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And so God, we know, knows what's in us. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. Have you ever had the problem of, of no, feeling something deep inside, down in your heart, so to speak, and you're trying to explain it and the right words just aren't coming out? He know, and you say to somebody, well, I hope you know what I mean. And yet God does know what you mean. God does know in your heart. And he knows even if you are, the words are coming out wrong, if you have a good heart, he's able to say, well, son, that's just not the way it needs to be. And you would say, oh, okay, I didn't know that. And so he, he knows your hearts. He knows uh, what's going on that way. Now, he, all, he knows when you ask amiss, right? James said it this way, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own pleasures. And so sometimes we're just asking amiss because it's just something we want. And we think God is like a Santa Claus when you sit in his lap, you ask him for something, and he always gives it. And uh, sometimes we're asking amiss. Sometimes God knows when even our repentance is real. You know, Hezekiah had to repent before God one time. And God said, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. God knows those things too, and praise the Lord, he does. So, First, God knows our hearts. That's the human side. We're praying. The Holy Spirit is interpreting. We're not always saying the right thing, but God says, I know your heart. In other words, folks, make sure it's the prayer of faith. Make sure it's the prayer where your heart is in the right place, where you would say, Lord, I'm not sure. I don't see everything, but what I can see is this, and that's why I'm praying this way, and then you're willing to, to take whatever comes back from God that conforms to his will. But secondly, God knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. I think this is, a, this is really an amazing uh, statement here where he says he searches uh, uh, also, the, he searches the heart. He knows also the mind of the Spirit or what the mind of the Spirit is. 
You know, there's a great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where the, the Bible is speaking of inspiration and speaking of how when the Holy Spirit was inspiring Bible writers to write the exact words he wanted on the page, it also was the exact uh, words that God the Father wanted on the page. And the passage goes like this in 1 Corinthians 2.10 and 11. God has revealed them unto us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? In other words, you know what? No one knows right now what you're thinking but you. I know you're thinking, what in the world is that preacher saying? I don't understand the thing. No one knows that you're thinking that but you. Until you speak something. But the Holy Spirit knows what's in the mind of God, and God knows what's in the mind of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing thing? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in such unity as that. And so, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. That kind of deep exchange is going on among the Godhead. That kind of deep uh, knowledge between the Holy Spirit and God. So who would you rather have translating your prayers for you to God the Father, the Omnipotent One, than the Holy Spirit who has such a deep knowledge and relationship and interchange with God the Father? It's, it's amazing when you think about it. So, by the way, in verse 34, you see the intercession of Christ who is at the right hand of the Father in our behalf. And so there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit also in this, inter in this interchange, of course. So what is it? Because he's making intercession for us. And secondly, uh, he is doing it according to the will of God, which you may or may not be doing. And you may not always know what that is. So our prayers have to be, Father, if it's your will. If you ask anything according to my will, you'll have it. What is your will, Father? Well, let the Holy Spirit do that, and you'll find out. And he doesn't need to tell you today what that is, if it's a prayer of faith. Paul, you know, was a great preacher and an apostle, a biblical writer, but he had some kind of infirmity in the flesh that he, he really felt like uh, inhibited him in speaking. Maybe it was in his speech. Maybe it was his eyes, the way he looked, his physical appearance and other things. And, and he says he prayed three times. Lord, if you would just change what I look like, Lord, if you would change the way I talk, I'll, I could do a lot more for you. Nothing happened. He goes back to the Lord again. You know, if you would just help me with this, how better things would be, how much more I could accomplish. No answer. He does it three times. No answer. Finally, God says, Paul, I'm not going to give you that because if I do, you begin trusting in your own abilities instead of mine. But my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what I need is your weakness. And Paul says then, uh, I will glory in my infirmities because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
And sometimes that's the way we have to approach God. He, he knows what's in our hearts. He knows what His will is. The Holy Spirit hears your prayer. And I've illustrated before, you pray this prayer, and the Holy Spirit says, now, Father, you know that's ridiculous, and so do I. So uh, what, what should we do with Him? And God the Father says, well, let's do this with Him, you know, even though He doesn't realize it. And so they do the right thing, even though you're saying, gee, I wish God would have answered my prayer. And the fact is, he did. And he did in the best way. One more thing, quickly. And that is the last verse, the very familiar verse, verse 28, about providence. Providence then helps us pray. We know then that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You prayed and you thought God didn't answer your prayer. He did, and he worked it out the best way, and that's good. That's what this is all about. Providence, I use that word meaning God controls. God is in control of things. We look at this world and this time that we're living in, and we're saying, what a mess. And it is from a human standpoint, a worldly standpoint. Is not God in control? I've never met a Christian yet who, who said no. We're told uh, that uh, in a Colossians that all things consist by him. Everything that is here consists by God. We're told in Hebrews that he upholds all things by the word of his power. All things. He has providence in it, in other words. I came across this statement in, by an old Puritan, John Flavel, from the 1600s, who was speaking about God's providence, and he said this, listen, prayers honor providence, and providence honors prayers. And then he said, providences have borne the very signatures of your prayer upon them. God's outworking and what he does in this world has your signature of your prayer on it. Isn't that an amazing statement coming from, a, from an old Puritan writer? It really is. So First Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. He's listening to you. He's forming things with you and because of you. First of all, we know God is in control. Because he's, but all things work together. And since all things work together according to what God wants, we give him thanks. So the Bible says, and everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank you, Lord, for, for what you do. Prayers are being answered. But secondly, we know God then cares for us. He's called us, this verse says. He called us and made us his own, and we love him and so we have this relationship where God cares for us. Somebody says, well, if this is all true, why pray at all? Why should I, why should I interrupt what God is doing, you know? Do you think God knew you before the foundation of the world? Do you think God knew what you were going to pray before the foundation of the world? Do you think that maybe God, even before the foundation of the world, could have taken your prayer into accord and formed the world because of your prayer before it ever began? You ever think of that? We're partners with him in this. He says we are. And he says to, 
to do our part. Let me end with this story, a true story about my, when my kids were in high school science class. I, I think it was Matthew, but one of the boys in, in science class was in trouble. He was always out of his seat, always doing something. So the teacher finally said, don't get up out of your seat, stay in this seat. I'm sure Matthew could give you names and the rest, but to protect the innocent, I won't. And uh, so finally, this boy raised his hand and said, can I go get a drink? <laughs> and the teacher, he, he was a good man and a wise man. He said, if you can do it without getting out of your chair, yes. And he's sitting in the classroom. Well, he didn't say anything to the other students. So this boy gets the other students to go to the lunchroom and confiscate all the straws that they had in the lunchroom. They bring him back, this true story, and they begin hooking the straws together from his seat out the door of the science room, hooking them together around the corner into the drinking fountain. And the science teacher, being wise as he was, saw if they can do that, he walked outside and he turned on the drinking fountain himself <laughs> and gave the boy a drink. True, true story. It actually happened. And I think to myself, you know, God wants us to participate, but he's the one that turns on the water. And he's the one that gives us our assignment. And we're to do our part, and he will faithfully do his part. Let me remind you of a small prayer in the little book of Philemon, one chapter book, where Paul mentions a man once in the whole New Testament. That's Philemon, one time here at the the top of this book. One little man over there in Colossae, in that church in Colossae, and when Paul is done explaining uh, other things in this little book, he says to Philemon, and Paul's in, by the way, Paul's in prison in Rome as a Roman prisoner in chains, and he says to, to little old Philemon, prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I will be given to you. One little man in Colossae, by his prayer, the whole Roman Empire has to let Paul go. Now, there were others praying. There were other circumstances, no doubt. But what a responsibility. And you know what? I'm sure Philemon prayed, and I'm sure he prepared a room too, didn't he? And you know what? Paul was released for a while. Isn't that amazing? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do here. Your prayer matters, and it matters in all eternity, and it matters to the Holy Spirit, and it matters to God. It's a prayer of faith. Be a prayerful person. Stand now with me, if you will. As we come to the end of these verses, we'll think about these things and go to the Lord in prayer. We'll sing a song of invitation. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and adjust our thinking and adjust uh, ourselves to his will. So let's pray together. Father, you've taught us to pray. You've showed us in your scripture examples of godly men who prayed. And though, Father, we are weak and we cannot see what you see, Father, make our hearts one with you. Make us part of this conversation between you, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And may our prayers fall in line with that. And as we pray for things that we do not see or cannot understand, may they be truly prayers of faith that are satisfied with what you do. So, Father, make us your people. Use us more as these vessels that are willing to participate in your will and your providence. Bless now, Father, in this. We need this subject of prayer. We need to be people of prayer. And I pray, Father, you would move in our hearts and teach us these things. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Interesting subject to give an invitation for. I think mostly the invitation just is, I need to start doing the right thing here. I need to start being a person of prayer. I hope that that moves on your heart and you do that. Even as we sing this song, but you respond in the way the Holy Spirit is leading you to respond as Gordon comes and leads us. <laughs> 